Michael Graf. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my Helm of Disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus-five Holy Avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. It is my opinion, he is a danger to himself and others, and is in need of treatment. Finally, a guy in broadcasting that represents the very average side of us all. The following broadcast is in the hands of a college-educated, barely-employed guy that does a podcast for an audience of fewer people than Paris Hilton has brain cells. It's hard to imagine that he's perpetually single. Now, from the middle of desert Urbania... This is Michael Graf in Exile. Welcome in. Thank you so much for checking us out. It's another edition of Michael Graff in Exile underway. It is Thursday, June 3rd, 2010. And we're already into the month of June. Unbelievable. This year is just, uh, it is sailing on by, isn't it? Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, yes, my name is Michael Graff. And it's hotter than hell in here right now. Uh, I don't mind telling you, I'm, I'm sweating. <laughs> I got the air conditioner cranked too. It's uh, it's clearly summer, and I see that um, we're supposed to hit about 110 or so on Sunday. Summer's here! Woo! Boy, I I'm so relieved. Uh, oh, all right. Well, Mike at KMGX.com, that is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com, Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show, AOL Instant Messenger. EFNet IRC, the channel net radio, all of our contact information and a whole lot more is available at the one, the only MichaelGroff.com. And while you're hanging out at MichaelGroff.com, you, you do know, of course, that you can also contribute to this program via PayPal, our... Um, course that's my email address the paypal address is also the same it's uh, mike at kmgx.com i'm listen i'm all over the place today i'm very scatterbrained i i have to admit if if anybody that knows me you're gonna know exactly why i'm i'm just like way out all over the place today uh it'll definitely be covered in just a moment man a busy show and we're gonna try and fit it all into an hour today also, I'm going to discuss maybe some possible changes coming to this very fine podcast in the relative near future. Um, 
a, a way to perhaps enhance your listening experience to this podcast and um, or our broadcast in general, I should say, because this isn't just a podcast. This is a it's a full fledged radio paradise, ladies and gentlemen. But we do have some uh, some wholesale changes that are perhaps on the horizon with the uh, with the show, and uh, I- I'm going to discuss them with you since a lot of you uh, give me your feedback from time to time about the show and about the podcast and about what you'd like to hear, uh, some of those uh, types of things. So I'm definitely seeking input because it's your show as much as it is mine. I know that sounds like one of those cliche. It's your show just as much as it is mine, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, super set of songs from the 70s coming up. I know it's that's one of those kind of corny, cliche things, but it really is. I, I When I tell you I am humbled by just the the sheer outpouring that I, I do get from the from the listeners. You know, I always joke about the lack of listeners to the podcast and everything like that. It is a small show. We're a very small, it's a niche audience, but um, you're very loyal and I do appreciate all of your feedback. Um, we've, I've gotten a lot of it. And I do take your input very seriously uh, about this show. And uh, I always have for the 10 years that I've done this. Not necessarily the negative emails that I used to get wishing that I would get cancer. Um, but uh, the just the general feedback that I get about the show. I am, uh, I'm, I'm always very humbled by it. I, I appreciate it greatly. It, um, so I, I just want to thank you for, for doing that. So I'm going to uh, maybe discuss a few changes that we're going to have uh, coming up for the show that we might, uh, we're going to just try some things out. All right, we're just going to, we're going to float a few things out there. It's kind of like our best of shows that we sprinkle in from time to time now. Uh, people have asked for that, so we're, we're going to try and sprinkle those in. I know you want more frequent uh, programs out of me. Uh, it's it's something that I certainly can do. It's it's just been a uh, it's really been a motivational thing for me uh, lately. And those of you that know me, you know what's kind of going on. So um, there's 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 a lot there's a lot to it. So I I always encourage your feedback um, at either by the email address on on Facebook you can always send me an instant message anything like that um <laughs> you know it's uh it's great all right now uh i guess what we should probably do is we should tackle this for you as you may know there is news there's a lot of news that goes on around the world every single day or what people think is news but really what CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or any of your other news outlets thinks is news, that's irrelevant because really all that matters is what I think is news. People are idiots. Everyone has their own definition of what's newsworthy. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, well, I don't have that too often. I guess some people shouldn't be gatekeepers of the news. But lucky for you, the decisions are now in the capable hands of this guy. Wow! It's time now for Michael Groff's seven most salient, salacious, and stimulating storylines of the day. Just got to get my drink of Gatorade here. Number seven. All right. All better. All right. Have I mentioned it's hot in here? 
It's the story that very few people are really talking about. It's the story. It's not really sexy. It's not all, all over the front pages of the news. It's not in the New York Times necessarily. It's not number one with Katie Couric. It's number seven with me at least. It's, it's getting some play, and that is the tensions that continue to rise between North and South Korea. And there's a lot of backdrop. There's a lot of background to this story that we really should talk about. I, I, I must admit, um, there's all of this started um, several weeks ago with the sinking. Well, actually, back in March with the quote-unquote accidental sinking of a South Korean ship by the North. Uh, they did their investigation. They concluded that it was the North that sank the ship, and tensions have been on the rise ever since. Of course, you haven't heard anything from the Obama people about it, really. We haven't heard much. We have heard about it from the UN, and we'll get into that in just a few minutes because that's a joke. You once, you, once again, you'll find out that whatever side the UN is on, you should always be on the other side. Number six. Israel claims that it was self-defense that prompted them to uh, go after a, uh, a ship that was a humanitarian effort. Uh, it was a Turkish ship for a Palestinian humanitarian effort in Gaza. Uh, look, I'm sorry. I'm not going to trust any, any ship that runs through the Israeli blockade just randomly doesn't seem like I know people are saying this is just the most this is the biggest outrage out there uh, how could they do this hey, they, there weren't any weapons on board I mean there were some knives and things but I mean there weren't really any uh, there weren't any high powered weapons on board how could they do this you ran the blockade you were in a place that you weren't supposed to be if a ship did that if, if a ship crossed into the United States if it crossed into our waters and we didn't know what the intentions were, and it just ran right on through the Coast Guard or whatever, it would get fired on. That's how it would happen. Period. I don't think we really need to get into that story any further. I know there's a lot of people that are just blasting Israel. There's the usual anti-Semites that are out there, too. I mean, I heard Mike Malloy last night. One of those liberal talk show guys. I know most of you don't know who these people are. And according to the ratings, nobody does. But yeah, he, I don't know, he has some talk show. Anyway, he's this really old, bitter, liberal dude. That's all you need to know him at. It, that should be his show. That should be the, the imaging for his show. Mike Malloy, angry old liberal dude. You know? And anti-Semite. And anti-Semite. Yeah. But I mean, I, I hear a lot of people weigh in on this, and, and that's really all you need to know. Don't run through the blockade, you'll get attacked. Number five. It's that simple. Governor Brewer met with Barack Obama. Arizona Governor Jan Brewer met with Barack Obama. They had a face-to-face -face today regarding Arizona's SB 1070, the so-called controversial illegal immigration bill. I don't know what the controversy is. It's enforcing existing federal law. Arizona took a stand. Arizona did something that the federal government is refusing to do, which is well within their constitutional right. Uh, how's that uh, lawsuit from Eric Holder working out? You know, the one where he says he's going to sue, but he hasn't read the bill yet. Hey, Eric, have you read it yet? Number four. Speaking of, there's a school in Tucson. <laughs> this is, this is, 
If anybody ever questions whether or not there's a liberal bias in the public education system, there's a school in Tucson that's trying to teach that SB 1070 is un-American. Never mind unconstitutional, it's un-American. Yes, because as we all know, it's completely un-American to uh, to teach students that you shouldn't cross into others' sovereign territory, that you should uh, break the law. It's uh, it's un-American to instruct students about the laws of another country. I I don't understand what's un-American about having a law and enforcing a law. I I don't get it. Somebody's going to have to help me out here. Number three. Three. I mentioned it just a few minutes ago. The UN is actually planning to give money to the North Koreans. Yes, this would be the same antiquated UN, you know, the worthless UN, where the U stands for useless. Well, the UN is planning to give money to the North Koreans. Once again, whatever side the UN is on, generally speaking, for about the last 50 years, the track record is 60 years or so. The track record is if the UN is on one side, you should be on the other. Most of the time. I would say 98% of the time. And that's me being very... I'm being generous. I mean, it's probably closer to 100. But since nothing is 100%, I'm just going to go with a nice 98% stamp on that one. So that's the UN. There you go. More... uh, just yet another reason why they should be ignored. Number two. Two. It was the perfect game that wasn't a perfect game. Armando Galarraga of the Detroit Tigers gets robbed of a perfect game on the last out. The, the top of the ninth inning, he's retired 26 batters in a row. 26 up, 26 down. And then Jim Joyce, first base umpire, blows the call, calls the runner safe on first. He was clearly out. This wasn't even like a bang-bang play. This wasn't a situation where you could go, eh, tie goes to the runner. No, no, no. This was, this was like Don Dankinger bad from the 85 World Series. This was just, he blew the call. He missed it. We're obviously going to talk about this in greater detail, but he even he came out, he admitted it. It was a whole thing. We're going to talk about it coming up. Just stick around for that. But I still call it the 21st perfect game in Major League Baseball history. Number one. Number one. Well, I guess it's very obvious that this is, for what, 40-some days now, this has been the number one story the oil spill in the Gulf. BP is, they've tried, when last we spoke on this podcast, they were trying their, um, well, they were trying the top kill method, which failed. Then they were trying to, they were going to have a saw. They were going to, they were going to literally saw this pipeline and make it a nice, even, uh, the pipe, they were going to make the pipe nice and even so they could like basically put a cap on it and cap the oil leak. Because when we last spoke, Uh, They were trying to plug up this hole, and it was working as of our last podcast. Well, um, yeah, not so much. Over the weekend, that completely failed. Uh, They tried it again. It failed again. We're still leaking oil into the Gulf. Uh, They still haven't bothered to drill the relief wells yet. That's going to take forever. And uh, now they're trying this, this, whatever it's called now, this 
this method where now they they're again trying to put this this cap on the well. Meanwhile, it's become a political football. Uh, you've got the discussions surrounding this issue have just become completely out of proportion. The Democrats now have gone back to blaming Bush. Well, I knew, I, I knew that that was going to be in the playbook eventually. Sooner or later, George W. Bush was going to have to get blamed for this. Because as we all know, any catastrophe that occurs on planet Earth is the Republicans' fault and or George W. Bush. Uh, just just a newsflash for the Democrats, just a newsflash. Um, he's not the president anymore. He hasn't been the president for what? Uh, well, let's see. This is June 2010. Uh, so, I don't know, what, about uh, 17, almost 18 months? He hasn't been the president? Year and a half? Huh. Talk about living in the past. Anyway, uh, we have a lot to get into with that. Uh, boycotts of BP and so much more. And that's just some of the stuff that's on my radar. Who needs billion-dollar cable news when you've got Michael Graff? The boycotts of BP. This is interesting. People are actually threatening to boycott uh, BP stations across the country. And that's a growing sentiment. Uh, Transocean is to, you know, look, there's a lot of people to blame. There's a lot of finger pointing to do. Um, but the... The, the talk surrounding this and the political, the politicized talk, the polarizing talk regarding this oil spill has just gotten to be ridiculous. Democrats blaming George W. Bush, Democrats blaming the deregulation of the oil industry. Look, here's, here's what you need to know. BP screwed up. They cut corners. They weren't, uh, they didn't operate this safe. They knew that there was a problem. They had a meeting about this. And the executive said, uh, you're, you're going to do it this way. You're going to use seawater to relieve the pressure that's building up in this thing. Uh, they said this was a bad idea. Uh, but yet somehow, um, and, you know, the executives went out and that's what happens. And now BP and Transocean, they're going to have to take the responsibility for this and, and shoulder the burden. And there's already a, a big old bunch of lawsuits that are being filed Um uh, there's uh, lawyers are already running. Uh, lawyers cannot get down there fast enough to get the lawsuits going. Now, I, I, I know I'm, I'm making it sound like I'm dismissing it and trivializing it. There are legitimate lawsuits to be had here. But you know, you know that there are going to be hundreds of people that try to pile on hundreds of people, hundreds of companies, hundreds of lawyers that try and pile on with this. And just like with Hurricane Katrina, there's going to be fraud all over the place here. There's going to be people that claim uh, they lost jobs as a result of this. The rhetoric that's being spewed from people now, the environmental crowd and, and, and the, the lefties out there. On the other side, and I, I want to make sure that I'm fair about this, on, on the extreme on the other side, you have, you have people like Britt Hume who are basically saying, what oil spill? I don't see any oil spill. The, the reality does lie somewhere in the middle. I mean, on one hand, you have people like Randy Rhodes and Tom Hartman that are sitting out there just inflating the numbers constantly saying, we have 80 billion barrels of oil that have just spilled out into the Gulf. On the other side, you have people saying, what oil spill? The exaggeration that's going on. I, I, I've heard this. I was having a conversation um, with, uh, with FK. You, some of you uh, longtime listeners, you know, FK uh, formerly... Uh, uh, on our on our old network and um, hosted a show and and everything and uh, 
he he said the same. This is what he said. I mean, he said, you know, you have you have people uh, just making these gross exaggerations like our our air supply is going to be cut off very soon. Uh, I actually heard last night. I heard um, one of these nutballs that they had on the air. I don't know. I don't know which host it was, but talking about where this is going to change the DNA of humanity. This could rewrite human DNA because these chemicals could be so damaging to the to the human to uh, human DNA that we could uh, we could forever be scarred by this genetically. And I'm saying, look, oil spills have happened. We've had just incredible disasters that have happened on Earth before, man caused or otherwise. Human DNA uh, hasn't been rewritten. Uh, come on, let's 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 turn down the sensationalism of this just uh, a hair or two, okay? Can we dial back on the sensationalized rhetoric just a little bit? Can we cut down on the yellow journalism just a little bit as well? Can we can we all just sit back and and take a deep breath here and understand that, that we need real solutions here? We need to stop pointing the fingers at Republicans and Democrats. We, what we really need to do is come up with a solution. And the solution isn't no more drilling offshore. That's not the solution. And the solution isn't, hey, let's, uh, let's use this as another forum to attack former President Bush. Because that doesn't really do any good either. Let's use this as a forum to make sure that Republicans don't get elected. Or let's use this as a forum to show that Obama is incompetent. Look, there's mistakes that went on all around and plenty of blame to be laid here. Barack Obama, the federal government, not really much of a response. We know this. I mean, that's a fact. You can't really argue. Janet Napolitano can run around and say that there was pre-deployment, which I, that's not even a real word, pre-deploy. To deploy before, that's like... I deployed before I deployed. That's like I voted for the $87 billion before I voted against it. Pre-deploy, that doesn't even make sense. What is pre-deploy? We had a pre-positioning that was going on. I'm just reading one of our statements. We, we, had, our, we had ships pre-positioned. How do you pre-position something? You position something. You don't pre-position it. Well, this is where I think it should go. I mean, you, you might position something in your mind. I guess that could be prepositions. I've heard of prepositions, <laughs> but not prepositioning. That's that's just that's uh, that's to position before you're positioning. Oh, I see. To because pre the the prefix prefix pre uh, implies before. I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, my mom was just an English major and I have a degree in communication. So what would I know about the English language? I don't know. I can't outdo the wordsmiths in Washington. Certainly politicians have me beat when it comes to crafting words, but not necessarily understanding what they mean. They just have a means of crafting BS. And that's what they're doing very well. They're, they're taking the BS and they are shaping it, molding it to fit their own needs. And that's what you need to understand is going on right now. This, I, I think part of the reason that Obama is not really responding to this and that he's not carrying on about this like he should 
is because he is afraid that it will draw more criticism to himself. It will draw more unnecessary criticism to himself. The reason that congressmen aren't speaking up more about this is because they're afraid that that's going to cause undue criticism on them. And let's not forget the other reason that is the dirty little secret of Washington. Oil brings a lot of money to these guys. Believe me when I tell you that Barack Obama got donations from <clears throat> big oil. He's not the only one. Bush got donations from big oil. So did Clinton. So did, so did just about every congressman. Most people have gotten donations from big oil, whatever big oil is. I guess that would be BP or Shell or somebody. So the reason that I think there's not more outspoken criticism is they're afraid of some of that money going away. And oh, by the way, it's an election year. Just FYI, just BTW, it's an election year. We, uh, we have 435 jobs up for grabs in Congress. Well, 435 House seats up for grabs. And I don't remember the number 30-something Senate seats. So 460, 470 seats up for grabs. Just letting you know. Then there's gubernatorial races. There's that too. So there's a lot of jockeying for political positions. Make no mistake, the oil spill being politicized. Make no mistake that extreme statements are being made on both sides. The truth always lies somewhere in the middle. That's, that's all you need to know about that too. All right, so um, BP is really, uh, they've botched this up. They're trying everything they can do. Uh, I just love how they, they just... It seems like this is a company that can't figure out how to do anything. They can't even figure out how to stop this. And, well, again, this was the company that, that allowed it to happen in the first place when it could have been. This was a completely avoidable situation. That's the really scary part of all of this. This isn't some bizarre circumstance where a, a massive hurricane came along and, and did the damage and, and caused this or a, a natural disaster, an earthquake or something like that. This wasn't anything of the sort. This was a completely preventable disaster. And rather than all of us as Americans and rather than all of us in Congress pointing the fingers at each other, and I know what I'm about to say might sound a little Pollyanna and might sound like a bunch of uh, esoteric uh, crap, I think rather than all of us pointing the fingers at one another, maybe what we ought to do is just say, look, BP, you guys screwed up. Transocean, you guys screwed up. You've got to pay the price. And yes, there's ecological ramifications. I said it would be permanent. Probably. And people criticize me for that, saying, see, you're just part of the alarmist crowd. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that if you have oil that you're just dumping into the Gulf, if you have millions of gallons of oil that are just floating around in the Gulf, that's going to hurt the ecology. And it's going to have a, a ripple effect that goes on for hundreds of years. When I said permanent, I, I did qualify it by saying, well, permanent in the sense that it will have ramifications that last a century or longer. Who knows? Hundreds of years, perhaps. It's not like that oil is just going to go away. 
Now, I know there's a lot of ships over there that are just sitting there in the Persian Gulf. There's a lot of ships just sitting over there by Saudi Arabia right now that could come over and help. They have the means to skim some of this oil out of there. They do have the means to do that. And they could. I know that they could because uh, it's been done before. I, I, we've mentioned on the on the show before this same situation happened in Saudi Arabia. Um, they had a, but just a massive oil spill there, and they were able to clean up more than eighty five percent of it. Shell, uh, the president of Shell, came out and said just that. So this is not something that could just be. It's not like this is not. I'm not, well, I don't want to say that you can't clean this up. I'm not, or that you could completely, but this is certainly a, an issue that has at least a possible partial resolution, which would at least help out environmentally and would even help out BP, who helped screw this up. And, and BP, I know that they want to fix this. You know, I heard the conspiracy theories about hey, this is a, a well-planned uh, situation by BP. You have to understand. You know, some guy wearing a tinfoil hat in his basement somewhere coming up with these crazy conspiracy theories about BP and, and they're, they're orchestrating all this and this is all just part of the shadow government and blah, blah, blah. That, that has nothing to do with it. This is all... Uh, this is... BP wants to get this capped and they want to get this taken care of and they want to start pumping oil again because they're losing money. They're losing money. Uh, they know that they're going to get sued and they're no, they know, they have to know that they're going to lose some of these lawsuits. They have to, I know they're going to get the best lawyers and they're going to pay a lot of money for lawyers and they're going to have this hashed out for years and years in court. But ultimately, the same thing that happened to Exxon is going to happen to them. They're going to have to pay out some big bucks and this is a lot worse than Exxon. They're going to have to pay out some big bucks to a lot of fishermen. They're going to pay out a lot of big bucks to, to hotel casinos in Biloxi. They're going to pay out a lot of big bucks to the states that say that their tourism was hurt and they're going to show these numbers. They're going to pay out a lot of bucks to anybody else that has businesses that rely upon tourism or rely upon commerce along the coast. And they're going to shell out bucks just to the United States government. They're going to shell out bucks um, to the families of the people that were killed on this oil rig, the Deepwater Horizon. So you know you know that they're going to be paying out money for a long, long time. This is going to be going on for a long, long time. So uh, we know this. We know this. And BP has a big old mess on their hands. That's why they want to get this thing resolved as quickly as possible. I don't think there's any question about that. The problem is they can't seem to find it with two hands and a flashlight right now. You know, and... <laughs> We, there's there's a lot of people that are coming up with a lot of solutions. I saw there's a 21-year-old uh, engineering PhD, uh, this woman that got her PhD in engineering when she was 14. She came up with an idea. She came up with an idea called, I believe it's called Seabed Retread and or something like that. And she has this idea of, of basically taking a bunch of tires and, and putting them over the pipe. And then putting some down into the pipe itself and then inflating all this and basically providing a cover over this thing. It's a lot more complicated than that. But she drew this up. She had this idea. She did the math. She worked it all out. She's 21 years old. She's the she's this person that has come up with this. And um, I, I don't know. That sounds like just as good an idea as, well, we're, we're just going to cut off part of the pipe and just put a big old concrete cap on it and hope that that works. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm sure the BP is willing to entertain just about any idea right now because their own ideas certainly aren't working. Eh, we'll just take all some mud and put it out there in the old uh, hole there and jam some mud in there and hope that works. Yeah, well, that's not working. Sorry. Just so you know. It's the latest with BP. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. That's also our PayPal address. AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com for more about this fine program. You're listening to Michael Groff in Exile. More coming up. Segment number two, Michael Groff in exile on a Thursday. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff Show is the screen name. Our PayPal address also, Mike at KMGX.com. More information about the show and stuff, MichaelGroff.com. Thank you. Lots of news going on in the world of sports, too. You know, what was overshadowed by the blown perfect game, which, trust me, we're going to get into here in just a couple of minutes. What was overshadowed by that yesterday was the fact that Ken Griffey Jr. hanging it up in the middle of the season. Ken Griffey, man, 40 years old, what a career. I, um... The guy spent the better part of about five years on the disabled list. And had he not, we wouldn't even have ever had a conversation about Barry Bonds and what he was up to, at least not in the context that we ever did with him being the quote-unquote all-time home run king. That would have never even entered into the equation because, well, frankly, I think Ken Griffey Jr. would have hit over 800 home runs in his career. Based on what he did, this guy had three straight seasons where he drove in over 140 runs. He had 50 home run seasons. This guy was just, he was, he was great. 
and in his prime. Now, of course, the last nine years or so, the guy was spent most of the time injured, and even when he was so-called healthy, when you know he wasn't 100% many of the times that he was out on the field, and that was evident by the fact that he got injured again. And the best part about Ken Griffey Jr. was the fact that his name was never entered into a steroid conversation. He was never rumored to be on steroids. He was never connected with Balco. He was never connected with any of these other guys. This guy in Canada, he was never connected with any of these uh, steroid incidents. He was not on the Mitchell Report. Nothing like that. So it's 630 clean home runs. Had the guy been doing steroids, I think it would have been pretty obvious because he wouldn't have been on the DL 90% of the last decade. So... uh, I just think it's such a it's a tragedy in a sense. I mean, the guy tragedy, the guy hit 630 home runs, fifth all time, well, really fourth all time. I say fourth because, well, you have Hank Aaron, who's number one. I don't care what anybody says. Barry Bonds is not. Barry Bonds doesn't count. Hank Aaron, 755. Ruth, 714. Willie Mays, 660. Ken Griffey, 630. And that's just the way it should be. That's how it should be in the annals of baseball history. So uh, Ken Griffey retiring. Uh, he was only hitting 184 this season. Um, it, it, he didn't play in over a week, and he just he said, I, I, I'm effective immediately. I'm announcing my retirement. You know, he ended his career in Seattle, the place where it all started for the guy. And um, I mean, he spent those years in Cincinnati, really wasted years. If you're a Reds fan, um, it, it really did appear to be wasted years um, because he never really got it going there. I think he had one really nice season there. I don't have I don't have Ken Griffey's stats in front of me here. I I, I had them up. I was looking at them uh, um, actually a few days ago before he even announced his retirement. I, I figured that after this season he was going to hang it up. It's always sad when a guy retires mid season too. And uh, I know that the Mariners probably would have stuck it out with him the rest of the season. But, you know, he wasn't going to get any playing time. He was barely coming off the bench and he was barely doing anything. Again, hitting 184. So uh, there's that. I I would talk about the Diamondbacks. They're on pace to be a record-setting worst team in history. We're talking about the Arizona Diamondbacks, the 2010 Arizona Diamondbacks, and I know there's not many fans out there of the team, but I just have to point this out. If you're a baseball fan, I'm actually going to encourage you to watch the Diamondbacks, and the reason is they're bad, okay? They're bad, but this team is actually historically bad. If you want to see history, never mind perfect games, this is a Diamondbacks team that could set all sorts of records, well, the wrong kind of records, but record, records for infamy, this is going to be the team with the worst ever bullpen ERA in the modern era of baseball. Their bullpen ERA will be the worst ever. Hell, this could be the worst team ERA ever. Although they've actually pitched very well the last several games, um, they got nothing to show for it. That's... That's that's how it goes with this team. When the hitting shows up, the pitching isn't there. When the pitching shows up, the hitting isn't there. When you get a little bit of both, um, you get the bullpen that blows up and ruins it. Uh, the Diamondbacks have lost 10 games in a row. This is the worst Diamondbacks team that I've seen in their 13 seasons. Okay? 
And, you know, their expansion year, that was a bad team. The 2004 season when they went 51 and 111, that was a bad team. But the difference is this is a team with a whole lot more talent that is getting absolutely nothing out of it. And the reason is because, as I just said, the bullpen mostly and the fact that when they do get hit, when they do get pitching, the hitting sucks. When they get hitting, the pitching sucks. It's it's legendary bad. This is a team that's on pace to be the uh, the 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 team that strikes out more than any other team in history. They they will strike out more this season than any team. And I'm that's that's saying something because those Milwaukee Brewers teams of about ten years ago with Jeff Jenkins, Jose Hernandez, uh, Jeremy Burnitz. Richie Sexton, remember those teams? Those those guys were windmills, man. They were just swinging everything. This team a lot worse. You have you have five guys that are like 150 strikeout guys on this roster. Kelly Johnson, nice season, but strikes out a lot. Justin Upton striking out a lot. Mark Reynolds, well, Mark Reynolds has been the strikeout king in the National League two years in a row. He broke the all-time record for most strikeouts in a season two years ago, and then he beat his own record last year. What did he have, 224 strikeouts last year? And he's on pace. Now, he's been injured. He's got a little hamstring issue, but he's on pace to actually break his own record for futility in strikeouts again this year. Nothing like a 220 to 230 hitter that gets about 40 home runs, drives in just over 100, and uh, strikes out 200 times. That's great. 30 years ago, the guy wouldn't even have a job in Major League Baseball with those kind of strikeout numbers. Now, again, I like Mark Reynolds. I think the guy is uh, he's improving at third base. Uh, the home runs are fine, but the guy has to learn to put bat on ball. I mean, it's... The Mark Reynolds, the the quintessential Mark Reynolds game is like one for one for four in a game, one for four with a walk and three strikeouts. Walk, three strikeouts, and maybe either a double or a home run. Because if he's not getting an extra base hit, he's striking out, and he's and he walks. He gets you know he's, he does get quite a few walks. I don't know how a guy can get so many walks and strikeouts because a lot of his strike threes aren't, aren't strike three looking. They are strike three swinging. It's working the count to get a strikeout, I guess. I, I don't know. This team is just, it's legendary bad. It is. It's horrible. Adam LaRoche has struck out a lot. Chris Young strikes out a lot. And then other guys strike out a lot in the lineup too, but they don't play quite as much. The starting pitching hasn't been good. Dan Heron hasn't been good. Well, this is just, uh, I mean, I don't want to go on an extended rant about this. I'm just going to say it's a its a, an, an organization run by amateurs, and they're getting amateur results. And anything from the fact that you have a manager that's never managed in the big leagues before to a general manager that's never been a general manager before. Uh, uh, one of the uh, managing general partners of the team is a former agent. Again, these are non, these are guys that have not had any experience, and it shows. Again, I would do a more extended rant, but I don't think many of you care. I care. I had to put it out there. I just had to mention it. All right. Now, here's what I really have to get into. The perfect game that wasn't a perfect game, even though it was. Last night in Detroit, Armando Galarraga on the hill. 
The guy mows through the Cleveland Indians lineup. Just goes right through. 26 up, 26 down. It's the top of the ninth. He has retired 26 guys. There is only one out to get. And uh, for this, I want to... It was just an unbelievable game. It was... I've seen a lot of things in baseball. I've seen a guy that lost his uh, lost his perfect game on the last out. Mike Mussina. I remember this game. It was September, what was it? September 2nd, 2001. Carl Everett broke up Mike Mussina's perfect game with two outs in the ninth. I remember that so well because, well, I, I mean, people called me up and said, you got you got to have this game on. And uh, it was like in the seventh inning at the time, and, and Mike Mussina was throwing a perfect game. I went out there, watched the game. Boom, Carl Everett breaks it up. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was just. And of course, that was a Yankees-Red Sox game. But that was a clean hit. The guy broke it up. But what happened here was unbelievable. Ground ball hit to second. Throw on to first. Was clearly in time to get the 27th out for a perfect game. It would have been the second perfect game in four days. Roy Halladay threw a perfect game for the Phillies against the Florida Marlins just over the weekend. It would have been the third perfect game of this season. There's only been 21 perfect games in, in well, 20 perfect games in the history of Major League Baseball since 1880. There's only been 20 perfect games. And what about six of them have occurred in the last decade? Randy Johnson, uh, Mark Burley. I'm just trying to think of all of them now. Yeah. Anyway, so there's what about, yeah, about five or six have occurred in the last decade. And really about, I think, almost well, I know at least, what, seven or eight have occurred in the last 15 years. So, but regardless, um, the first base umpire, Jim Joyce, calls Donalds of the Indians safe at first. He's clearly out. He's out by more than half a step, and it was it was an unbelievable scene. Jim Leland comes out to argue the play. The fans in Detroit, as you would expect, are just, they're going crazy. They can't believe it. The replay clearly shows the runner is out. The game should have been over. And it wasn't. Of course, Sin, Sin Shu Chu comes up next for the Cleveland Indians. He grounds out, game over. But it doesn't matter because at that point, Jim Joyce blew the call. And after the game, he admits it. He sees the replay. And this was, look, this was a big deal. Jim Joyce comes out and apologizes to, to Armando Galarraga. And he apologizes for blowing the call. And he felt bad about it. And, and Galarraga at the time, when, when the, the safe call is made, Galarraga doesn't say anything to the home plate umpire or to the first base umpire. He just, he has a big smile on his face. He just walks back to the mound, whatever. But he couldn't believe it. After the game, um, 
you know, he's asked about it. He, he takes it. He handles it with class. He says, you know, the, the guy missed the call and, and Galarraga, you know, Jim Joyce personally apologizes to Armando Galarraga for missing the call, for blowing the call. Galarraga takes it in stride. And I have lots of thoughts on this, but I have to play this for you. This, I have three different calls of this. First of all, we have the FSN Detroit call, the Fox Sports Detroit call. Um, I always forget the guy's name, the play-by-play guy. I know Rod Allen is the color guy because he used to be the color analyst for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Anyway, this is FSN Detroit's call of that final out. Ground ball, right side. Cabrera will cut it off. Galarraga covers. He's out. No, he's safe. He is safe. He is safe at first base. See, even the play-by-play announcer thought he was out at first until he saw the umpire signal safe. And Jim Joyce, it took Jim Joyce a couple of minutes to signal, or not minutes, but it seemed like, I mean, it took him a couple of seconds to signal safe. Jim Joyce said he was safe at first base. You make the call. Cabrera, Galarraga. He missed the base. He's out. Why is he safe? He must have missed the base. Are you kidding me? Why is he safe? You see right here. Why is he safe? Oh, Oh my goodness, Jim Joyce. No. Oh, jeez, Louise. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What a travesty. What an absolute travesty for Armando Galarraga. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing because these guys, I mean, they make it sound like... uh, they make it sound like 9-11. There's a strike call. Here's another look. Galarraga getting there. He can smell it. He can smell it. Perfect game. Tags the bag. The last out. Imagine just being in the position. I don't think I've never seen it. I've said two. This, this is the second thing this week. Two things I thought I would never see in Major League Baseball, and I saw them both this week. The Diamondbacks were playing the Dodgers earlier this week, and the game ended on a walk-off balk. I've never seen that. I've never seen a walk-off balk before. That's how the Diamondbacks lost, uh, I believe, their eighth in a row. On Monday night, the Diamondbacks lost a game on a walk-off balk. That was weird enough. But then to see the last out of a perfect game get blown by the first base umpire. And let me let me make this clear. This is an umpire who's been in the league, uh, what, 20 years this guy has been there. He is a respected umpire. He's been voted this, the second best umpire three times, uh, three times in his career by the players. The players have said this is a quality umpire. And guys came on the radio today. Uh, there was one national host that said, listen, guys make mistakes, folks. Um, you know, he blew the call. Big deal. You know, there's uh, life goes on and, and so forth. Uh, they're not going to change the call. They shouldn't. Well, actually, Major League Baseball should change the call. They should. Here's, here's the play. But here's the call from W. This is actually much funnier. This is from WXYT in Detroit. This is the Detroit Tigers radio network and the, and the call of the final out. 
Right-handed batter against the righty. The 1-1 pitch. Swinging a ground ball right side. Backhanded by Cabrera. He's going to turn, throw to first, and they didn't get him! Oh, man! <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. Cabrera ranging far to his right. Backhanded through to first. Galarraga broke for the bag. And the first base umpire, Jim Joyce, says the base runner, Donald, beat the throw. And, Dad, you notice he took like a split second or two before he made the call safe. Cabrera made an outstanding play going far to his right. He made a nice throw to Galarago, and as he got the foot on the bag, he was clearly out. Jason Donald feels. The umpire called him safe. His foot oh was on the bag, goodness. and he called him safe. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Goodness. Wow. A absolutely horrible call. Oh, my goodness. One clear, full step. He's on the bag before the runner got there. Uh, this is absolutely incredible. So there's the Detroit Tigers radio network. And now, finally, one of my favorite guys... Was this guy's? I, I always forget this guy's name. Tom ha- Hallion or Tom Hamilton or I think it's Tom Hallion or whatever. He is the Cleveland Indians play-by-play guy, and uh, he. This is his call. This is his uh, interpretation. Again, everybody thought the runner was out initially, like they call it out, and then they they see the umpire signal safe, and and nobody can believe it. So this wasn't a situation where you had to look at replay to see this. This was one of those things where, in real time, everybody knew the runner was out. This is Don Dankinger in the 1985 World Series blowing that call all over again. This is the same thing that happened 25 years ago. This is the call from WTAM in Cleveland. Donald has grounded out and flied out. The Indians rookie, Galarraga. Pumps and fires. A swing and a ground ball on the right side. Cabrera backhands it. Sets, throws to Galarraga. Not in time! (laughs) I I love it. I love play-by-play, guys. Jason Donald beats the throw of Galarraga. And Jim Joyce will hear from Jim Leland. (laughs) Miguel Cabrera ranged far to his right. A good 30 feet back candidate straightened through over the top to Galarraga. A bang-bang play at first. And Jim Joyce calls Jason Donald safe at first. It wasn't even bang-bang, though. And the replay would indicate he may have missed another oh, one. Wow. I'll tell you what, Tom. He was out. He was out. He was out. He missed the call, Mike. Yep, he sure did. Wow. This game should have been a perfect game. And see, this is why Major League Baseball needs to come back and just make a scoring change here and declare this a perfect game. Jim Joyce, the and I know that I know that they don't uh, necessarily do that very often. But, you know, uh, I'm going to make the case for it. Scoring decisions are changed all the time in Major League Baseball. I remember several years ago... Uh, several years ago when Luis Castillo of the Florida Marlins was on what would have, what would turn out to be, I believe a 36 game hitting streak. 
he was in the midst of this hitting streak and there was a he he reached base on an error and later that scoring decision was changed from an error to a hit so uh, Luis Castillo got credited for a hit and it extended his hitting streak these kinds of things happen scoring decisions are changed this is a scoring decision really and to me I mean it's an umpire call but regardless whether it's an umpire that makes the call or the official scorer that makes the call or a guy that's called safe and later is determined out or a guy that's called out and later determined safe you know this is one of those things it's it's a simple scoring decision that can be made I would I I think that and I know Major League Baseball has already come out today uh, Commissioner Bud Selig came out and said no we're not changing this this call it wouldn't make any difference if they went back and changed the call First of all, I've read that Jim Joyce, and I, I do feel bad for him. Listen, the guy made a mistake. The guy, he made a mistake at the absolute worst possible time to make a mistake. You talk about having timing. You talk about bad luck. You talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jim Joyce represents that. He is, you open up the encyclopedia of cliches and you see wrong place, wrong time, Jim Joyce's picture will be forever etched in that frame okay because he was wrong place wrong time ninth inning last out the play is right in front of you a good umpire again this is not some scrub umpire this is a guy that's had a very nice career and really i know the only time we ever hear an umpire's name is when they screw up and in a year in a season in a major league baseball season that has been marred by bad umpires and weird weird plays and weird calls made by umpires and you know joe west and others come to mind uh this this just is sort of the well it's the frosting on on the on the crap cake here and that was that was that was a that's a terrible call in infamy as the guy who made the wrong call <laughs> on a perfect game, Shinsu Chu takes wow. a strike. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Unbelievable. The pitch to Chu is low, and I know we work for the Indians, but I'll tell you what. He deserved it. That is not right. Nope. Yeah. So um, a lot of people said that the commissioner should reverse this, and uh, people said, well, it would cause a bad precedent. Then what, what else would they have the commissioner go and do? Look, this is the last out of the game, okay? This, is not, this isn't like a guy gets ruled safe in the third inning, and then there's no other hits after that, so you have to go. But no, no, no. This isn't the third inning. This is the ninth inning. It's the last out of the game, and I know there are people that disagree and they say, well, it's still not a perfect game because in order to have a perfect game, the umpire has to be perfect too. That's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. The umpire is not there to be part of the game. The umpire is supposed to be there to be an unbiased official. He is supposed to make sure that the rules of the game are followed. And in this case, well, the rule wasn't followed. Because the rule is if the fielder has his foot on the bag, and the ball is in the fielder's glove before the runner gets to the bag. The runner is out. That's simple. 
And that's what happened. So really, if it's about getting the call right, and that's what it's about in sports, and I know people are going to say, well, it's the human element. Screw the human element. This is the 21st century, a human element. I know it's a game. I understand that, but it's still a business. It's still about getting the call right. You want to make sure that the right thing is done at your job, right? You want to make sure the numbers are crunched properly if you're an accountant, right? You don't go back to your boss and go, well, you know, it's the human element. I know I'm in an accounting error. I know I screwed us over. That's Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. That causes a lot of uh, financial turmoil. But it's the same thing here. These are jobs. These are guys that are making money. This is... There's no harm in admitting that you made a mistake, which is what Jim Joyce did. He came out like a man. He admitted he made a mistake, and he let Jim Leland give it to him. I mean, he, he, Jim Leland, manager of the Tigers, let him have it after the game. And Jim Joyce stood there and took it like a man, and then he said, I made a mistake. So if you admit that you made a mistake, and you admit that you blew the call, and it was the final out of the game anyway, why can't Major League Baseball just go back and change the scoring decision? It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to make a, a, a hill of beans difference, except it's going to give the guy a perfect game who rightfully earned it. And on an interesting side note, did anybody find it interesting that this would, this is really the third perfect game of this season? That's one-seventh of all the perfect games that have been thrown in Major League Baseball happened this year, and you count the last few years. You had Mark Burley. You had you had Randy Johnson in 2004. It's amazing what happens once steroids go out of the game, isn't it? There's been... I'm counting this as a perfect game. I don't care what any of you say. Three perfect games. You've had a no-hitter this year. In the last year there's been five no hitters i believe what uh 12 one hitters or 15 one hitters i mean that's more than any one year during the la- during the previous 10 during the the end of the steroid era as it's known it is interesting what happens when steroids and, and amphetamines and everything like that is out of the game, isn't it? I know athletes are more conditioned. I know they're better trained than they were, let's say, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. But uh, it is just interesting to note that all of a sudden guys, are, they're, they're not coming into to camp uh, as huge as they once were, as muscular as they once were, and all of a sudden yeah, the numbers are down a little bit. You have the Philadelphia Phillies who go on a road trip and they can't even score a run. They're getting shut out. That's a high-octane offense there. You've got guys that have proven track records of power. You have guys like Chase Utley who not only hit for power but hit for average, can't even drive in a run. And there is no question that as you look across Major League Baseball, especially when teams go on the road, they're not scoring runs like they were. That's way down. That's the num- Those are the numbers that really stick out if you look at it. Runs scored on the road. The road team scoring runs. Now, of course, if they're playing the Diamondbacks and they're facing their bullpen, well, then that's a whole different story. I mean, you throw that stat right out the window. 
I mean, if you have guys that shouldn't be on a major league roster and suddenly they're on a major league roster, well, I mean, they, bad things are going to happen. You're going to get you're going to get lots of runs scored then. I, uh, I I dropped I dropped a whole thing here. Dropped a whole pile of uh, paper I had here. All right, look, we got to come back and do a final segment. I wanted to get into this more, but I, I don't know. I know that there's a lot of listeners out there that you just eat this up and you love it. But there's a lot of people that go, sports, I don't like sports. I just, I, I, I don't like it when you talk about sports. It's just, I just, I... I'm not athletic. I don't care about million-dollar athletes. They're overpaid. Talk about something else like, I don't know, like like the fact that Mars and, and Venus and, uh, you know, they're all, the planets are all lining up tonight. Mars and Venus and Jupiter, they're all lining up tonight. Yeah, okay, I'll talk about that. Right after I do my extensive segment about UFOs. Uh, we'll get right into that. Well, we'll start talking about that sort of thing. And then we'll start talking about the next coronal mass ejection from the sun. We'll get, uh, yeah, we'll start talking about secret moon bases. We'll get Linda Morton Howe on the show. We'll talk about rectal probing. Yeah. From the city that's hotter than hell, it's Coast to Coast AM. I'm Michael Graff filling in for George Norrie, George Knapp, Ian Punnett, Art Bell, and anybody else that normally sits in this chair. Hold on, I gotta put on my tinfoil hat. All right, my tinfoil hat is now on. I'm receiving signals from aliens. Uh, I'm sorry, my the signal's a little jammed. I <laughs> I better retune my C crane radio. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, we'll actually get into something. Um, Maybe we'll get into something marginally substantive in just a moment. I, I'm not going to promise anything, but we will be back. Mike at KMGX.com. That's um, our email address, last I checked. It's also the PayPal address for this program if you want to contribute. Help us out. Help out my sanity, for God's sake. Every time I think of you, I feel all right, it's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. More information about this program and a lot of other stuff. MichaelGroff.com, the place to go for all that. Come back with a quick segment. We'll put a pretty little bow on this broadcast for the day. Wrap it up. There's a lot more still to get to. It's Michael Groff in exile on a Thursday. Back after this.
because this show isn't crazy enough already, we decided to throw a little bit more chaos into it. Now, here's the Michael Groff Random Rejoin. Random Rejoin. Wow. Tonight it's very clear. Digging way into the past for some old imaging, the old random rejoin image, and then the uh, and then Peter Cetera of all things. Yes, I know the words. I know. I will always love you. I would never leave you alone. Luckily, my voice isn't nearly that high. As we chronicled in the best of shows, it seems my voice continues to lower. Even though I went through puberty, yes, my balls dropped in sometime in my teen years. Um, apparently, my voice like seven or eight years ago is still way higher than it is now. It's like double puberty, I think. I, I don't quite understand it. Peter Cetera, on the other hand, he was able to hit these notes for a long time. I know it's gay that I know the words to these songs, but I know the words to every song. So I don't think that's gay. I just think that's way too much time on my hands. Absolutely no life. What can I tell you? Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. It's, it's Mike at KMGX.com. I should have been on that show. Um, don't forget the lyrics. That would have been perfect for me. That would have been, uh, I, they would have come up with some obscure. So the problem is they did a lot of stuff from the 60s. and I wasn't even alive. I don't know those songs. I, I don't care about those songs. I really don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't really care about oldies. Um, that's part of the problem. But yeah, here you go. Yeah, they would have. I would have got on. Don't forget the lyrics, and the first song out of the box would have been something like this. Actually, I, I know this song, but. I think I know this song. I know this is Mongo Jerry, right? When the weather is hot, you can stretch right up and touch the sky. See, I know this song. You got women, you got women on your mind. Have a drink, have a drive. Go out and see what you can find. See, the problem is they would have busted out with some song by the Temptations or something. I wouldn't have any idea. They'd have been like, this is Diana Ross. Don't you know the words to a Diana Ross song? I go, no, I'm a guy. I'm I'm 32. I'm not 72. They would have hit me with Beatles songs. I don't know Beatles songs. To me, the Beatles are overrated. I'm sorry. Oh, did I say I said that out loud? I know. I'm. It's blasphemy, isn't it? It's funny that I know the lyrics to Mongo Jerry, but I don't know. I don't know the lyrics to most Beatles songs. 
It's very random. Okay, my my knowledge of sixties. Like over here. Hold on. I got This is. I know this is radio, but here, I just reached over to the wall of cassettes. We have this right here. This is a. This is a Johnny Rivers cassette. I actually have a Johnny Rivers album. We have that for a secret agent man. And if this cassette player actually worked, uh, I'd play it right now, but uh, the cassette player apparently is not working. So. Alright, that's enough of that. I can't I can't take it. I do know the words that that's why the random rejoins were always great because it didn't matter what it was. I knew the songs and my, my music library has thousands and thousands of songs and I could hit the random button for anything and I'd know, I'd know what it is. I, any, anything you want right now here. I like your pants around your feet. See Nickelback figured you out. I'm not looking. First of all, the screen is so small because I'm just doing this off of the laptop and the, the screen is so small I would so you could do that again just it'd be any old song that's that's the beauty of the random rejoins people don't people underestimate the size of the music library that we had here you know and it's because I programmed uh, several stations and I'm a nerd I memorize basically everything here Oh, here you go. We just had this on the uh, show the other day. We were just talking about this uh, a few days ago. Joey Scarberry. Believe it or not. Look at what's happened to me now. From the greatest American hero. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. It's, it doesn't matter what the song is. It doesn't matter uh, if it's basically if it's from the 80s. First of all, it's from the 80s. I'm going to know it. I always know songs from the 80s. If it was a hit, even if it was a marginal hit, even if it was a marginal hit, I'm going to know what it was. That's a guarantee. Duran Duran, of course. I know I wanted to come in here the last segment. I wanted to sit down and talk about good stuff. Instead, I'm just talking about random music. I'm just talking about anything. And that brings me uh, kind of full circle to what I wanted to talk about at the uh, the start here. And um, I'm throwing out this idea for some wholesale changes to the show. And I, I know I've already gone well past the hour mark on this podcast. But anyway... So there's going to be some changes. Now, first of all, uh, some of you, I want to address some of the things that have been written in. Uh, some people were writing in about James, who is the uh, occasional co-host on this show, and have commented about him. Most of the f- uh, most of the feedback I've received has been relatively positive. I, I've, some people have, have been um, questioning why I have James on the air. He's, uh, first of all, I, I want to point out that... Um, you know, he's he's a kid, okay? He's a, And when I say kid, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. He's a minor, okay? So be a little bit kind, all right? Uh, he's 15 years old, and um, he uh, he's, a, he's a good kid. And, uh, you know, I, I'm... He's, he's bringing some ideas to the table, and he's helping out. I know that we don't necessarily... Listen... When people, when you hear the best of shows and you hear people like Jeff on the air with me, Jeff 
Jeff and I have known each other for, uh, God, 23 years. At this point, there's not a thing that we don't know about each other, okay? So Jeff and I are, we have a, a great rapport. We've known each other for longer than James has even been alive. So we've known each other forever. And so as a result, we can sort of predict what the other person is thinking. And it's, it's this chemistry that we seem to have on the air. And it, it works. And the same happens for a lot of people that I have on the air. I've known them for a long time. I haven't known James. I've never actually met the guy face to face. I... You know, so the timing issues, I know that sometimes uh, we cut each other off. He he talks under me. I know that that happens, and it's um, – but it's one of those things that comes with the business, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I like having him on the show, and he brings ideas to the table. He's a, a very smart kid, but, you know, it's it's different. He's, he's going to think differently than I do, and he's going to have a different timing than I do, and he's different than I am, and that's fine. So I know that there was some, there was, uh, many people were positive, many people wrote positive things, but I, I, there were people that, you know, questioned the decision of having him on the air and said, who the hell is this kid, and blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, it's it comes with the territory, you know, and... Um, I, I sort of shielded him from the criticism uh, deliberately just because I know that uh, anybody that comes on the air, you have to understand that people that have come on the air over the years, I've had um, my girlfriends on the air over the years, um, and uh, they, uh, at least just about anybody that comes on the air is going to receive criticism. That, that's it, it's what happens, especially back in the day when we did the show live and we had the, the bigger audiences and some people were very vicious in what they said about people I brought on the air. I got a, a lot of vitriolic comments. I had death. I had a death threat against me once. I had I had people wishing I'd get cancer. Um, generally speaking, I, I shielded like my girlfriends when I would have them on the air. I did sort of shield them from the from the comments. I wouldn't necessarily read them all the all the mail that came in. And even though a lot of it was positive and I'd share the positive with them, you know, I, I don't know. And and they'd say, bring it on. I want to hear it. And uh, sometimes they didn't. So I, I, I generally, you know, kept that away. Now, when I bring Jeff on or John or, or, or other people that I have on the air, um, they, I give them the, the criticism. I give them those uh, negative emails, and they, they just love it. They like it. They, it, it fuels them. They, they enjoy it. But so, and everybody's been very nice about it. Even the, the criticism has been nice. I only had one person that, that sent me a comment that was just really really nutty and uh that person i mean said some like you know said some pretty bad things so and uh and i I never even heard from that person before i didn't even know who that was and i guess that person listens to this podcast and um you know that's just the way it is that's the way radio is but uh, when I'm talking about wholesale changes to the show, what I mean is it's not necessarily about co-hosts, although I would like to get more more co-hosts and more interaction with the audience involved in here. That is one thing. But the other thing I'd like to do is, and my idea is, 
Well, this is actually isn't my idea, but I'm I'm taking the ball and running with it. Um, I've had discussions with several people about the show, and I've bounced many ideas that you have had about the direction that we should go with the show. And some people have suggested that what we do is we do shows that have themes. Now, I'm I'm against themed radio, okay? I, I really think that themed radio where a host throws out a topic for a half hour or an hour and then callers call up and, and regurgitate an answer to a question that the host threw out, that's just horrible radio. But having a, a podcast where we just do a sports podcast once kind of like we just did with the last segment where I just talked sports for that segment, except it would be more an in-depth analysis. What I did last segment was I talked sports, but I tried to keep it sort of on the on the more novice level because not everybody that listens to this podcast is an avid sports watcher. I try to keep it so it's at least somewhat relatable to even the average person so that people that aren't necessarily sports fans or people that are just more casual fans or people that aren't even fans at all can still be entertained by the topic. So, you know, maybe we do one day a week where we do a sports podcast, all right? Like maybe on, I don't know, I'm just saying like on a Monday or on a Tuesday. Um, and then we have another day where we just do kind of more political stuff or world news, you know, that kind of thing. Like what the more hard-hitting stuff. And then we have a show that we just do kind of our regular show where it's a variety. Now, personally... I like doing the show that I do now and the, the way I've sort of done the show for 10 years, even though it's evolved and it's changed. And the show, I think, is a little bit more serious than it used to be when we started. And, and some of you like it and some of you don't. But I think the the sort of variety approach, I, I like that because when people go to a restaurant, they like to have a choice and they like to have a lot of, you know, some people are into a plate full of, of different things. Like most people don't just go to a restaurant. They don't just get a steak and that's it. They get a steak. They they have a steak. They have some potatoes. They have some vegetables. Maybe they have a dessert. Maybe they have uh, some, some appetizers. They have a beer. They have, I don't know, water, whatever. They have a, a variety of things. They don't just want one thing. But then there's other people that just want one thing. I've always sort of taken the shotgun approach to the show. And I like to cover a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, even here, uh, I, I still, I mean, I want to get to the UN. I want to talk maybe a little bit more North and South Korea. I know that that's not really salacious to a lot of people, but it's interesting because it's, a, it's something that not a lot of people are talking about. And I think it's important. And, uh, but I, I like to keep, you know, some of the biggest stories of the day going as well. And I, I want to talk about what interests you. But... Maybe we're going to try this. Maybe we're going to try and do some segmented stuff. And what I'm also thinking of doing is bringing back the live element of the show where it's not just a podcast anymore. We're, where we are sitting here, we're doing a live show. I don't know what time I would do it. I don't know if we'd go back to the old time of 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, which is, I think, a good time to do a show. I think that's, that's all right. I'm, I am not averse to that. That's certainly a time I'm comfortable with, but we could do it really any time right now. Um, the live element to the show would be kind of as it used to be. Um, we'd have, you know, our server and everything. We'd have to kind of get all that squared away. But as long as people would tune in for it, and many people have asked if we could get the show back on live. 
Now, if we do that, if we get the show back on live, I, I really I, I want people to step up and support. And, and I, I, I hope that everybody out there, you know, spread spread the news about the podcast, you know, uh, try and get some people into the show. You know, I mean, I, I want to get this. I want this thing to grow. You know, I want to show that a lot of people are going to listen to that a lot of people like. And I take I take everybody's suggestions seriously. I had a conversation with a guy uh, with, with this guy, Luke, that was in our IRC channel the other day. And and I believe me, I took his suggestions seriously. And part of this is, that he, I mean, he wasn't the only one to come up with this idea, but his was probably the best articulated. And so that's sort of the direction. And, and there's other things I want to roll. I want to roll out some more new features. You know, we, we look at the pop chart. We have James on the show. He, he brings something to the table. And, I, and, and I'm willing to even entertain the idea of uh, people that want to record their own segments and we play them on the podcast. Uh, somebody, you know, or if you want to come on the air, you want to co-host, I'm, I'm willing to entertain that. Because, see, the, the difference between this show and your big uh, professional nationally syndicated shows, this this is a show I've always tried to do my show for the listeners and I've always tried to do it. It is, it's, it's a little corner of my mind. This show is a little bit of a corner of my mind is a little bit of my own sort of personal journal in a sense. It's also a means for me to divest myself of a lot of things that are on my mind. It's also a means for me to communicate and articulate important things to other people things but i try to do it in a conversational way i don't come on the air and go hey what's going on everybody tip top of the yeah yeah we got stacks and stacks of red hot wax fly you know i don't do that kind of crap i don't do a show i don't put on a phony voice i mean this is how i talk to people uh i, I do get a little bit amped up but i get amped up in real life if you will off the air i'm i'm some people say i'm a performer all the time other people say that I'm just the genuine article, and that is what you see is what you get. The point is, is that this is, even even though this is definitely a dark time of my life, and those who know me personally, I mean, it really is. It's a very, this is, uh, this stretch of the last nine, ten months has really just been brutal. Absolutely brutal. All right? Um... And it's not improving, but I still do this show because this show is a, is an outlet for me. It's sort of cathartic in a way. And while I, I sometimes there is there are part of me there's part of me that would just love to come on the air and sort of and sort of emo it up a little bit and just tell you what's gone on with me. And I it sort of it comes out I, I let it come out in very subtle ways from time to time. Um. And I, I've never been one to shield uh, things from the audience. I don't lie. I, uh, I I will tell you. I'm. I really consider myself. This sounds very sounds very narcissistic. This sounds very self-aggrandizing. But I really think of myself as the most honest person I know. And I don't just say that because it's me. I'm saying that because I know what goes on out there. And so. This show is 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 just a it's a part of me, but I also like to make this show. Again, I I know this sounds cornball and cheesy, 
But I like to make this show also yours in a sense where it has a little bit of you on it. If you write me a comment, I'm going to read it on the air. I mean, if it's if it's airworthy, if it's something that, you know, I, I have always done that. I've always shared what people have to say. Positive, negative, or otherwise. And this is a show, it's very important to me what people think. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to change things. If you say, I don't really like it when you do the pop chart segment, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing the pop chart segment, but it means that I will take what you say and, and certainly I'll, I'll consider it, I'll file it away. See, the, the thing was when we started doing the pop chart segment, people, people hated it, some people loved it. That's how it's going to be in radio all the time. I'm going to do things that people like. I'm going to do things that people hate. And sometimes those things are the exact same thing. Like when, pe- when we do our coast-to-coast AM bits, some people loved them. Some people didn't get it. Some people hated it. We do our other parodies and spoofs on radio and on, on TV and on just things in general. People, some people liked it. Some people hated it. Some people said I did it way too much. Some people said I didn't do it enough. Some people... Some people love every single thing that I've ever done. Well, I, I don't know about a few people. And there's a few people that just, they hate everything that you do, but they continue to listen anyway. And then there's people that are kind of in the middle. That's the thing. There's, there's a, it's a variety of people. So I try to make this show as wide ranging as possible. I talk about frivolous stuff. I talk about guys that, that, uh, that they get their head stuck in the toilet just as much as I, I try to make that as much a part of the show as I do talking about um, the federal government's response to an oil spill, uh, the debt. I mean, it's like there's a story right here. And I, I want to sort of make a correction on something that we reported last week. Last week I reported to you, maybe it was even two weeks ago, I reported to you that the national debt, the debt clock hit $13 trillion. Well, it wasn't quite accurate when I reported it. Because what happened was the U.S. Treasury went back and made some recalculations. And actually the debt clock hit $13 trillion last Friday, just around noon Eastern time. So last Friday, Friday, the that would be the 28th of May, the debt officially hit $13 trillion. And then as of uh, Tuesday, we already tacked on more than $60 billion on top of that. The debt clock is ticking so fast It's, it's insane. And in the 500 plus days of the Obama administration, I should just point, I'm just mentioning this because it is relevant. We've added more than $2.4 trillion to the debt in over 500 days of the Obama administration. I'm just saying, I'm sure the two are not related at all. There's no connection. It's just a number that I'm just putting out there. Anyway, so it's things like that. I mean, we talk about that. I mean, uh, I could uh, I could talk about a, a story about a guy that got arrested for abusing a bunny. I got that. But then over here, I've got a story about the UN giving money to North Korea. And so I try to mix all that in. Plus, I've got, you know, I got the sports stuff. And we've got, uh, I mean, we've got the NBA finals going on right now. Lakers, Celtics. I don't care because the Suns got eliminated. And quite frankly, um, I, I, you know, I'm, 
I guess by default, I am rooting for the Celtics. But I'm not exactly like, rah, rah, let's go Celtics. It's just that I, I can't stand the Lakers. And I really can't stand Kobe Bryant. He showed that he's a, a completely classless individual uh, in game six against the Phoenix Suns. His antics on the court where he was uh, doing his best airplane or helicopter impression when he hits the shot and he spins around with his arms out and he mocks the Suns bench. The guy is a showboater. The guy is arrogant. And really, he's a douche. And we all know that Sasha Bujicic, what kind of jackass he is. After he went after, um, he went after Goran Dragic with some fervor there in game six. And that was a flagrant foul. And that was just a joke, too. So Sasha Bujicic, that was really classy. And Phil Jackson trying to work the officials before the NBA Finals. I mean, I could talk about any of that. I mean, I'm watching. Right now, the NBA Finals are on in front of me. Lakers have the lead as I'm doing this podcast. So, you know, there's a million things. So I I want, I, I really do want and look forward to all of your feedback. And I throw it out there. And I appreciate everybody that makes a donation to the program. Um, I really, I, I just can't emphasize that enough. I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate the people that listen and that listen regularly and that leave me, uh, comments on my personal uh, Facebook page because the Facebook page that I have up that, that many of you have me linked on and that sometimes uh, a few of you will send me messages on there. And that's my personal page. And I, I don't really update it very often. Um, it's not like my official show page. I don't really have an official show page. Uh, some people have tried to create one, and I, I really haven't jumped on it, and I really should. It would be in my best interest to do so. I really, I, I should I should be getting on that. But, I don't know. That's And that's something else I should probably really be taking advantage of. I should get a Twitter page for this show. I, I really don't like the idea because I don't think many of you care about what I'm doing. I don't think many of you care, but then I could very well be wrong. So that's why I, I really am. I always look for feedback. I do the show and I do the very best of my ability, but of course, if anybody wants to send in stuff, you know, you have music you want me to play, you got, you got something that you'd like for me to do, Aside from go to hell, which I'm already there, believe me, it's it's 9,000 degrees in here. It's like the surface of the sun, almost, in this studio. So, that's sort of uh, my thoughts and how I'm taking the show and, and the directions. Now we're an hour, we're over an hour and a half in, see? I can't, I don't know how to do a short podcast. Some people say, I'm sure that there's probably somebody going, could you make the podcast like 30 minutes? Actually, most people really like our longer shows. And I, I, I'm complimented by that. I guess that means people like listening to the dulcet tones of my voice, which is great. I like it too, quite frankly. Good all the way around. I guess. <laughs> All right, we're back for another edition. Tomorrow we'll be here. We're going to do the pop chart tomorrow. 
take a look at some of the biggest songs in the world of uh, CHR pop. And then we've got... Um, <laughs> I, I still love that call from, uh, from WXYT in Detroit. This call is still. This is. This is still. This is still a great call. We didn't get him. Oh man! That right there. That that's worth it. That's great. We didn't get him. Oh man! <laughs> Somehow I see that drop coming into the show a lot. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address. Also the PayPal address, Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. MichaelGroff.com for all other things Michael Groff related. See you next time. Have a great one, everybody. We'll be back for a Friday show tomorrow. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.